Hello, and welcome to our podcast called the Virtual CISO Chronicles. In this podcast, I will interview a virtual CISO to talk about cybersecurity, entrepreneurship, and business. I'm your host, Caroline McCaffrey, one of the co-founders of ClearOps, a software platform exclusively for virtual CISOs, cybersecurity professionals who consult with companies to build cybersecurity programs. To tell you a little bit about myself, I have over 22 years of experience as a startup lawyer, and I like to think of myself as an advocate, especially in the fields of data privacy and cybersecurity. But I grew up in an entrepreneurial home, and I absolutely love listening to people's stories. So I started this podcast to feature people who are working hard in cybersecurity to make the world a better place. Our guest today is Sam Bourgeois. Thank you so much for joining me, Sam, and welcome to the podcast. My pleasure. Thank you for, for asking me. All right, let's, let's just jump right in and get started. So please tell our audience a little bit about yourself. And if you could include something that is non-security related, which I feel like you can based on what I've seen of your background and even what you just said in the promo, um, please do so. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, so um, the I guess uh, starting from the beginning, I, I originally was in education. I went to university for chemical engineering. I ended up becoming a teacher. Uh, I love to travel. I love the outdoors. Went to Alaska. Most of my professional life was up there. Uh, had a great time. Just had a wonderful time uh, living in uh, small villages, small uh, Yupik villages, uh, native villages in Alaska for uh, for a number of years there. Totally about, I'd say about uh, maybe 13 years total in Alaska. Uh, and I got to kind of see the whole gamut. I've been to, um, gosh, I think I counted one time 90, 90 something small rural communities across Alaska. Uh, doing uh, doing a lot of things, everything from from general IT to consulting uh, for for strategic planning, and then eventually working in telecom uh, as a, a director for a a small regional um, uh, telco up there. Got a little bit um, a little bit, I guess, interested more in, in in the global travel, the worldly travel. And so I asked myself and I talked to my wife, and we said, "What's the last place we'd ever do? Where's the last thing we'd ever consider?" and we started brainstorming around that and looking for adventure, and we ended up uh, in China. I was in China for three years as uh, an IT director for a, a group of international schools there. And then COVID happened, and my family was growing, and so we came back to the U.S. and ended up in Florida. And uh, again, worked as an IT director for uh, for a small school, a small organization here in Southern Florida before making the ship uh, making the shift to uh, security full time. And I've been a uh, VCSO now for a company out of uh, out of Maryland for about two years. And I also started my own uh, organization, my own uh, entrepreneurial uh, uh, company called Make It Secure LLC.com. And there I do uh, a lot of general consulting for for folks that maybe can't afford the the mainstream um, VCSO work that that you know you might typically expect. And uh, I like to focus on program building and. Uh, kind of building the cultural changes that are needed in an organization to to secure their environment, not just the technical. Okay, so I have one point of clarification that I need to ask. Did, were you born in Alaska or did you just move there? I am I am 100% Cajun from Louisiana. Really? So I'm, uh, yeah. <laughs> wow. Yes. How did you end up picking Alaska? I mean, Maybe it's somewhat similar to the story of picking China, but so fascinating. I've never met anyone. I do actually know someone from Alaska, by the way, but I've never met anyone who who lived there for such a long period of time. Well, so I, I honestly, uh, 
it, it, it really was a pretty straightforward story. It was just one too many hurricanes, right? <laughs> one too many hurricanes. Um, the, the, uh, the, I, I mean, it was, it was, it was a good life. I, I love being near my family, of course, but, uh, just one too many hurricanes. And, and when you lose everything that many times in your life, you just, you kind of, sometimes you just say, why am I, why am I here? Why am I, why am I doing this to myself? So I get back often. I love to go back. I love the food. I love the culture. I love the the community. I love everything about it. Yeah. Uh, but it's not for me to live. And, and then why Alaska, the answer is pretty simple. Actually, we, we, uh, <laughs> we talked about it and literally just did a Google search, highest paying teacher salaries in America. And <laughs> <laughs> checking out Alaska. So uh, wow. yeah, I went up as a teacher and changed careers while I was there. Wow. And then you said you went, you visited over 90 small rural communities or counted that it was at least 90 um, small rural, rural communities. How, does that mean you were traveling every single day to different communities to help them with all those things you mentioned? Well, so the, my, my shift from education to IT was such that in these rural communities, it's hard to find IT support. There's limited budget. Obviously, you can't fly to all these little communities to troubleshoot every little thing. So what, what as, and later as an IT director, I oversaw this process, obviously. We, we try to identify, um, you know, technical, technical folks on site that can help and do like, you know, tier one, step one kind of troubleshooting or take a phone call with, with maybe a professional to try to figure something out, especially when flying is your only option and there's bad weather, mm-hmm. uh, you know, having these schools go down and stay down, it's just not an option. Hmm. So that's what I started doing. I was, I was the guy that they would call. And then I started riding my snow machine to different places to help as well. And, uh, ended up having a job in the big city of Anchorage. And, uh, I was a, a consultant for about a year, year and a half. And then I took a job as an IT director at a, at another, uh, a different village, different school district than the first one. So, and, so, oh, and, yeah, and you asked the question about how, how, how did I get that many? I, I forgot to ask that, but, uh, so the, the consulting job, I traveled quite a bit. And then later I was, a uh, uh, later I was working for a telco and I got to travel quite a bit as well. So between coaching, I was a wrestling coach, a girls volleyball coach and some other things, uh, telco and a consultant. I got to get to travel a lot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it sounds like it. And, and I, it, it makes me think of how you're an entrepreneur right? You have clearly several things that are very typical in an entrepreneur, which is um, the, the, uh, the, the sort of the more risk-taking side of it, which is you move to Alaska from New Orleans, and then you move to China, um, which I want to hear more about the China experience. But it also sounds like similarly in your job um, that you would, it almost sounds like, and, and there's sort of a question here is that you had some consulting, but then some also, it sounds like corporate or even teacher um, jobs where maybe you worked for in-house for somebody as, as your direct boss, but then you also had a lot of consulting jobs. Is that, am I hearing that right? That That's a hundred percent correct. I realized, so I realized when I was a teacher, that's when, um, this is like the beginning of the one-to-one schools thing where they were putting computers in the hands of every kid. And, uh, I, I just happened to be a young fella at the time, and this is not a generational oversimplification, but it just so happens that I was the most technically savvy. Hmm. Uh, and so I was a natural choice for those things. And what I what I realized is I started asking myself questions and I'm, I've always been curious and just kind of addicted to learning. And I was thinking, I was like, what the heck is an IP address? Why is this number different from when I'm at my house? What does it mean? And so 
I would just start asking questions. And I think the people that luckily the people who I surrounded myself with were really great mentors and really great answering those questions for me. And it, it encouraged me to grow. And um, I started getting certifications here and there just because I was curious, you know, whether it was, you know, CompTIA certs and things like that. And then eventually I worked my way up to the, you know, the, the, the kind of the CCNA, the networking type stuff. And as I took on new roles, then I started thinking about the management and thinking about the, the change control and the change management and all these other things. So, um, yeah, just, I've always been addicted to learning. I want to know whatever it is. If I don't know the answer, I want to, I want to learn about it. Yeah, it sounds like it. I mean, you, you actually just answered two of my next typical questions, which is, um, surrounding yourself with mentors. And what do you think about security certifications? Sounds like you, uh, you're, you're favorable of both. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I guess start with the mentors. That's the most important, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I have, I have a really, I have a really great perspective on obviously on, on being a mentee, but I also want to say that I think like I'm, I'm super, super passionate about mentoring others and take a detour for a second. In addition to all the stuff I was telling you that I already do, I'm also the, uh, the director of a nonprofit subsidiary that does um, coding education, cybersecurity education, for underserved communities. And I'm trying to take that global now, hmm. but um, my passion there is to is to, to teach young people who maybe don't even have the context of what is a computer or what is, you know, what is an IP address, but to tell them that there are security principles and there are critical thinking principles that you can you can learn to get into the field. And, and you don't necessarily have to transition from IT to security. You can start with security and work your way up and learn what you need to learn. Um, so those mentors, I guess where I'm at is those mentors, they made that clear to me. I always felt that I was, I always felt that I wasn't good enough for IT when I was a, an educator. And I think that our educators don't get enough credit because they're constantly learning new things and they're unlearning and relearning things as well. There's, our, I mean, our history is, is, is fraught with fables and mythology, right? Mm-hmm. And so a, a good educator is going to unlearn those things that we prove to be not true anymore and relearn things. And they're going to grow with new concepts. And I think educators are some of the most brilliant people and keeping up with a classroom full of, of young people is, is incredibly difficult. And it's been incredibly instructive for me as I deal with corporate executives and boards and just all the people that I have relationships in my life. I learned a lot of great skills from that experience. So being a mentee was was obviously integral to my success. And then turning it around immediately and asking myself, again, with that educator hat that says, you know, as, as educators, we always have to ask ourselves, you know, are there two students that can learn from each other and would they learn better together than from the, the teacher dynamic? The answer most of the time is yes. And so in that same context, if I'm a mentor for cybersecurity, all I need to know is a little bit more than, than you do about this very narrow thing. And I can be your mentor. And so that's always been a guiding principle for me and, and a philosophy that I've taken very seriously is taking everything that I know immediately and turning it right back around and giving it to somebody else. Uh, so that's my, that's my perspective on mentors. <laughs> um, it's great. I mean, I love, I love what you said about the teachers learning and unlearning such a good point, very rarely made. Um, okay. So then walk me through your decision to get out of this, which it doesn't sound like you're fully out. You, you kind of, you're still doing 
teaching in some way or mentorship in some way is a passion, but the change to go and become a virtual CISO. Uh, well, so I, I really got into security in, uh, oosh, gosh, probably 2016. I won't say where or how, but I was a victim, put it that way. Okay. And uh, it was kind of like that. Yeah. It was kind of like that experience about the IP address, you know, years, years before I was a victim and I was just standing there, mouth the gate, reading this, this notice and saying, how did this happen? Like, don't we have controls for this? And I don't know anything about security at the time. Don't we have controls for this? Like, shouldn't we have measures and checks and, 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 you know, all the things that I know now to say compensating controls and risk management and things like this. And I didn't know how to articulate those concerns, but it was common sense to me. And I said, I want to know how did this happen? So I kind of put my hand up and I said, can I be involved in this process of making sure this doesn't happen again? Who's going to be in charge of this? And so the organization I was working for hired at the time, their first ever CISO. And that was the first time I'd heard the term. And I thought, well, that sounds cool. So you do all this stuff. And I was thinking, that's for me. And that was years ago. Hmm. Um, fast forward, when I took the job in China, um, I, I did the same thing. I asked the question, I said, how important is security in our organization's values? Because I can read our mission, vision, et cetera. How important is security in these values? And who can who can speak to that specifically from the leadership, the board, the uh, the chairman, whoever? And the answer was nobody. And so I asked the question, I said, can I do that? Can I be that person? Can I be the the individual in this organization that leads, that sparks, that 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 institutes some kind of shift to think about security in all that we're doing? And and it doesn't have to be first, it doesn't have to be the highest priority, but can it just be a part of everything we're doing? And so that enabled me to kind of insert myself in a lot of different teams. And that's when I started to do ISO certifications for the organization. I really started to think about my own certification. That's when I got my uh, my uh, CISM and my CISSP. And and it, it kind of goes back to the first question of what do I think about um, certificates? And the answer is to that question is, Again, going back to the educator perspective, I think I think certificates, just like tests, can be two things. They can be a driver to learn a particular body of knowledge. Like if you want to be a good project manager, in my experience, you could just be a really good people person, a really good um, uh, mm-hmm. attention to detail, et cetera. Very rarely do I ever ask a, a project manager who's super awesome at what they do, hey, do you have a PMI certificate? Are right. you a PMP? Now, sometimes they say, yes, they do, or sometimes they'll volunteer it or it's on their email. Um, but other times it's it's really just a lot of really great experiences and, and skills that they have. But if you validate that by saying, I have reviewed the globally, you know, the globally agreed upon body of knowledge that we think we all need to speak the same language, use the same words in that context. Yeah. Take a great PM and, and kind of encourage, push, drive them towards certification, I think you'll get a, a net value out of that because they're going to speak the same language, et cetera. So same thing for me with a, a CISM kind of, I think of it like the management level and a CISSP kind of director and higher level. Yep. I think it validates that I have skills. It validates that I know this body of knowledge that everybody on planet earth agrees are important to what I do. So it's a validation, but it also, when I was coming into the field, it provided me a target. And it provided me a, uh, 
you know, a list of, a list of milestones to say, okay, I've mastered domain, 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 domain. Uh, so two things. And I, and I think both are extremely valuable. Are there people who study for the test? Just like there are young people who study for the ACT and really are not that knowledgeable about everything, but they can make a, a 32, of course, of course. Yep. But uh, yeah. Yeah. And then there's others who really do have to study pretty hard. Um, and, 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 you know, usually do well for it. So let's, I want to, I want to shift to what you're doing right now, because when you gave your introduction, you said that you, a couple of years ago, when you came back from China, became a virtual CISO for this company, who's been around for a little while in Maryland. And then you also started make it secure LLC. Yes. Um, two jobs going on right now. Is that what I'm hearing? Two jobs. Yeah. Two okay. jobs. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Um, what inspired you to start make it secure while you were also I don't know which one came first but what's what inspired you to to start make it secure I think I think it comes down to kind of the kind of the corporate sales driven focus of what MSPs do by nature it's just it's it's by design it you it's the DNA of of MSPs you have to make money you have to grow and I mm -hmm. completely understand that but sometimes what gets left behind are the very small use cases that in my mind are very important. Uh, and those use cases, a lot of times happen to be education. And, um, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to do a lot of searches to find out that we're, we're in a, we're in a rough spot as a, as a nation, we're in a really rough spot. And um, it, it's no longer, well, it, I don't, if you ever assumed that you were immune because your education, that was wrong to begin with, but now we can definitely see, uh, and I'm also in the InfraGuard uh, Member Alliance, which is the, the FBI Public Partner uh, uh, Partnership. And so what we're seeing with the trends and what the FBI is telling us point blank and what the, the Verizon DBIRs will tell us statistically is happening is schools are now being targeted. And mm -hmm. that, it breaks my heart because so many school districts or even small schools, they don't have the, the money and they probably never will have the money to hire this high quality security subject matter expert. Yeah. Uh, and they probably can't even afford to hire the VC. So from some of these organizations, MSPs, MSSPs. And so that's, that's the folks that I'm hoping that I can help. Right. Okay. So you're targeting schools specifically. I mean, it makes sense, but is that make it secure is, is targeting helping schools with their, with their security. And, and also, and also small business, um, you know, small businesses that are, are kind of in the same dire straits. It could be a, yeah. um, you know, could be a, a small accounting firm or whatever, but whatever the case may be, they can't afford that, that price tag. Maybe they don't even know where to begin and maybe they don't have any managed services to even leverage, to find a quality uh, VC. So, and that's, that's where yeah. I can help. Yeah. So true. So, so let me ask you my favorite business question, which is what is the hardest part about starting and running your own cybersecurity consulting business? How are you targeting the school? How are you talking to the schools and the small businesses that need your help? Well, I'm, honestly, I'm not much of a sales guy. I'm really not. Um, <laughs> luckily, luckily, this is a high demand uh, okay. thing that they need, right? And so I think everybody agrees they need it. They just don't know to what extent or, you know, to what depth. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm, I'm not very good with sales and I'm not really targeting per se. It's really just kind of anyone who comes to me for help, I do it. Now, eventually I would love to be an entrepreneur and eventually I'd love to have my own team and I'd love to be a uh, an owner and not just a kind of a sole proprietor partner with my wife, mm -hmm. but, um, that's where I'd love to be. And so to answer your question, the hardest part is how do I get to the point where I can actually 
afford to make this my primary and not my secondary um, and balancing, you know, balancing work and, and life because it's tough. You know, I, I don't yeah. want to take away from my day job. I want to do the absolute best I can from, for the organization that, that pays my salary. And on the other hand, I, I want to do more and I want to, I want to do, I want to work weekends. I want to work nights. I want to, I want to do whatever it takes to be successful. Uh, so that's my biggest challenge is getting over that hump. Well, you certainly sound like you have an, an with with make it secure that it's an impact business, right? You're you are more focused on the impact that you're having um in terms of helping them get security where they otherwise may not have have the bandwidth or the the um the funds to do so. Um so I it's it's commendable that, that is the the way that you're spending, you know, your moonlighting, <laughs> so to speak, um, by helping them. So let me ask you this. Um, what advice would you give to someone who is thinking about starting their own business right now, given that you are really waist deep in the struggle that a lot of us have? I mean, I, I am in the same boat as you, whereas I have, you know, a, a, a startup that I'm trying to get successful and I have to do some consulting work on the side to make ends meet. Uh, I guess my advice would be uh, perhaps, perhaps uh, not predicated on my success, <laughs> but, but my advice would be um, to, to, to do it. My advice would be to absolutely to do it. There's um, that's the greatest part, in my opinion, the greatest part about being in the U S we have this open open ceiling, right? Like we can literally do anything. It's, it's really just a limitation of the time and effort and the energy that you want to put into it. So I say, do it and, and how to do it. I would say, um, if, if you're looking for the particular markets or, or whatever, look for, look for those trends in that particular mar market that you can speak most honestly and most passionately about. And to, if it's education, there's tons of grants out there for securing our, our schools not enough, but there's plenty out there. If it's defense industrial base, by golly, get on the CMMC wagon, right? Mm -hmm. If it's, you know, if it's, um, if it's healthcare, understand what the latest regulations, what the latest uh, releases from the DOJ were just a couple of months ago, but whatever it is, you know, find that passion and be able to speak articulately about it and be, um, be, be able to, to really express to people how much you care about their culture and what it is you're trying to change and what it is you're trying to accomplish and not just the, the check boxes and the, you know, the, the salesy kind of thing really tell a story, I guess, is where it's at. That's great advice. I really absolutely love that. It's, it's sort of get, get your, know your, know your interest and then start telling everyone about it and, and be a, be an expert. Um, so a couple more questions. I know we're running near the end of here. What's your favorite Either choose whichever one you want, cybersecurity or business book that you'd recommend to our listeners. Cybersecurity or or general business to recommend? Mm -hmm. um, book, yep. Oh, book. Oh, book. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, okay. Oof. Oh, <laughs> gosh, that's a tough one. So I love I love the cuckoo's. I love the cuckoo's egg. Uh, but I think, oh, my goodness. It's a tough one. I like, I like Mitnick's first book, The Cuckoo's Egg. Uh, but I think the Lazarus heist, is that the okay. name is the title of the book? I think the Lazarus heist is probably my most entertaining one that I've read. Oh, Sandworm. No, hands down. Has to be Sandworm. Sorry. Go back to, uh, 
Yeah. Go back to sandworm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Great. Um, and then is there any other virtual CISO who, you know, that you think I should interview for the, for this podcast? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my, my, my good friend and associate, uh, Maximo Bredfeld, Maximo Bredfeld. He's a, he's a great guy. I've learned a lot from him. Really passionate, lots of deep understanding about, about the, about the space. Awesome. I will be reaching out to him. Well, Sam, thank you so much for your time. Please let our listeners how they can find you. Yeah, you can feel free to email me. Uh, it's very simple. Sam at makeitsecurellc.com. That's it. Whatever it is, I make it secure. Awesome. Sam Bourgeois, thank you so much for joining us today. And for all my listeners out there, you can find our blogs and this podcast on Substack and Apple Podcasts at the Security Expert Marketplace. Thanks again. And um, look forward to releasing the podcast. Thank you.